0: Our gospel reading on this uh, first Sunday in Christmas is the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 2,
1: verses 22 to 40.
0: Luke two twenty-two to 40. <clears throat> Let us hear the gospel. Glory be to thee, O Lord. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord... Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation And a sword will pierce through your soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel, of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was was upon him. Let us pray. Ever-present God, gracious Father, who from the womb of the Virgin Mary brought new life to all humanity, grant to us your Holy Spirit that hearing your word we might receive it by faith and thereby be born again, born from on high, and so be your sons and daughters for eternity. Through Jesus Christ, Son of Mary, Son of God. Amen. Amen. may be seated. Welcome, in the name of Christ, on this first Sunday in Christmas, the seventh day of Christmas. I hope this Christmas tide you have been filled with the peace, love, and joy of Christ. Perhaps you have also been filled with roast beef, eggnog, and Christmas cookies. Christmas is a wonderful season, but eventually we need to return to everyday life. And in this passage, in our scripture passage, Luke brings us a time when Mary and Joseph needed to vacate the stable and head over to the temple for a purification ceremony. Luke doesn't glamorize Mary and Joseph. They don't appear in his narrative with halos over their heads. Uh, They don't appear with faces glowing like cherubs. Mary and Joseph were simple country folk who believed God. God said they would bear a child. And they accepted that word, even though they were confused and probably also very concerned and apprehensive. God said they should offer sacrifices when their first child was born, and so they did. Faith is not an altered state of consciousness or intense spirituality. Faith is trusting God. Mary and Joseph trusted God, even in something as simple as bringing a couple of birds into the temple. So they bundled up baby Jesus, collected the birds, and headed over to Jerusalem, and entered the temple. Mary and Joseph were not doing anything extraordinary by offering their purification sacrifices in the temple. Millions of Jews had done this before them. This was a normal act of Jewish parents. Mary and Joseph were keeping the law of Moses. They were being obedient. But their sacrifice was also an act of faith. They trusted the scripture to be true. They trusted God to bless them through this sacrifice. And so Mary and Joseph are not so much great examples of faith as ordinary examples of faith. God's people trust him. God's people trust his word, which means that they obey the scripture. If you believe in Jesus, every ordinary day you get up And you obey God's word. It's not only an act of obedience. More profoundly, it's an act of faith. It's an act of trust. You're trusting that God's word is true and that he is with you as you obey it. Mary and Joseph navigated their way through the throngs of people pushing and shoving in the temple. And then they encountered an old man. Simeon was his name. He approached Mary and Joseph and held their baby and launched into a blessing. Mary and Joseph must have been startled, astonished at this stranger coming up to them and blessing their baby. But Luke tells us a backstory. Simeon was no ordinary worshiper. He is identified as being righteous and devout. And he was also, like many Jews, waiting for the consolation of Israel. God's people had been oppressed for centuries by the Babylonians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and now by the Romans. But even before the Babylonians, God's people had been oppressed by wicked Jews who robbed and mistreated their countrymen, which is why God sent the Babylonians in the first place. But Judah, okay, and so now in the reign of Caesar Augustus, Judah is ruled by that imposter, Herod, under the thumb of Rome, but Judah herself is rotten to the core. A century ago, the high priest had been deposed and replaced by an imposter. The temple was controlled by a small group of elites who refused to accept the authority of most of the scripture and grew rich and powerful off of the temple taxes. A spiritually insightful Jew would have been upset at the Herodian rule but distraught by the corruption of God's own people. Simeon, like Mary and Joseph and other Jews, was righteous. He was devout. He was hoping for the Messiah to come and save his people from all this wickedness around them. But Simeon was different from other devout Jews. The Holy Spirit had singled out Simeon, singled him out for a special role, and had come upon him, Simeon was going to bless the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit would make sure that he lived long enough to perform that task. Now, many of us are familiar with this story. It's appropriate when God comes among us that the angels sing in the heavens. It's appropriate that shepherds worship the baby. It's appropriate that the Holy Spirit send a devout Jew into the temple to bless the baby Jesus. It's appropriate and cute. Uh, It's cute without being sentimental, (coughs) But it's also profound. <clears throat> Simeon declared that Jesus would be the salvation of God. This devout Jew prophesied that all peoples, all peoples would recognize the salvation that Jesus brings, Gentiles as well as Jews. Then Simeon promised, prophesied that this baby would be a light. Jesus would be a light like no other, a light which would enlighten even the Gentiles and bring glory to Israel. What news? After centuries of humiliation and sorrow, uh, homelessness and suffering, Israel would not only be saved but shine with glory. Relief from suffering would have been sufficient. That would have been good enough for most Jews. Freedom from oppression would have been cause for great rejoicing. But these aims were too small for this baby. This baby would make Israel shine in glory and enlighten the Gentiles. Jesus would light up the whole world. No one could have anticipated this. Mary and Joseph were overcome with joy and amazed at this prophecy. Luke says that Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about him and marveled they might. This is the fulfillment of the ages. Ever since Adam and Eve plunged this world into darkness, and God promised to rescue them by a baby. Ever since God promised to bless all the world through Abraham's children. Ever since God promised to establish an eternal throne in the offspring of David. Ever since Isaiah prophesied a new heavens and a new earth, God's people have longed for the salvation that only God could bring. In slavery, hunger and thirst, warfare, toil and drudgery, exile, God's people struggled but never gave up hope. As Israel slid deeper into the cesspool of sin and idolatry, God sent prophets with ever brighter promises of the salvation to come. And so Isaiah said, as we read earlier, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout before all the nations. The nations shall see your righteousness, all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. This is it, folks. This is what Christmas is about. This is why we're here. This is the season of rejoicing. This is the day to exalt in our God. No one must keep quiet. We must dance and sing and feast and frolic like a new bride. For our salvation has arrived and all the world must be brought into our festivities. Christmastide is our joyous festival. Then Simeon turned to speak to Mary, and his words were troubling. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. The fall and rising of many in Israel? A baby? We would expect the Messiah to cause the downfall of the hated Romans, but Israel? The fall and rising of many? It has a disturbing ring to it, doesn't it? Will he cause Jews to turn against Jews? He will be a sign that is opposed. Who would oppose a baby, But it came to bless the people of God. Will not the Messiah be welcomed? Won't he bring peace and harmony? Won't the Messiah beat swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks? Furthermore, what has this baby to do with the thoughts of the hearts of many? Where did this come from? Did any of the prophets say that the Messiah was going to be a heart reader? And frankly, do we care? I mean, as long as he drives out the Romans, isn't isn't that what we're here for? There's something dark, disturbing, and ominous in these words of Simeon to Mary. But the chilling line is when he said, a sword will pierce your own soul also. How often did Mary remember Simeon's dreadful warning? How often did Mary look up as a stranger approached her at the village well, wondering what Simeon meant? How often did she wake up in the night, worried about her oldest son? Mary had more children. Jesus grew into a strong and godly young man. He was always obedient, kind, and thoughtful. He mastered the scripture with uncanny insight. He was a great comfort to his parents and his family as as he learned the carpenter's trade and became his father's valuable partner. Mary's family was ideal in many ways, although they were poor, poor but happy. And then Jesus turned 30, and things started to get really weird. His cousin John baptized him, and a heavenly vision appeared. Jesus began to preach in neighboring towns, and men began to follow him, People started calling him rabbi, which is a sensible thing, considering his great insight into the scriptures. But rabbis don't travel from village to village. They don't, rabbis don't cast out demons. Then reports came in of healing and of these demon, cast, demon casting out. The last straw was when Jesus appointed a shadow government. Mary gathered her children and attempted to kidnap Jesus to protect him from the consequences of this traitorous act. Meanwhile, the authorities were actively looking for a way to stop Jesus. Someone with in, insight could tell that this was leading to violence. Well, things began to, tensions began to boil over. As Jesus rode victoriously into Jerusalem to the shouts and praises of the vast throng. But the exhilaration quickly turned to panic as several days later the crowds demanded that Jesus be crucified. Crucified! You know, crucifixion wasn't merely a means of execution. Romans, you know, those masters of efficiency knew a lot faster and easier ways to kill people. Crucifixion was used for vile public enemies, creatures so despised that they weren't worthy of humanity. And so crucifixion was, designed, was devised as a way to strip them of their humanity. As the criminal hung naked upon the cross, this creature ceased being human. He became a worm and not a man. And Mary watched. Mary watched her baby, her son, the child she had nursed and reared and loved, the brightest young man in the village, the light promised to Israel and the nations, salvation at last, centuries of suffering all behind them as the Messiah had come. All this was violently torn from her, and she felt her soul sliced in two as she wept uncontrollably beneath the cross. But Mary's sword wasn't the only sword that day. Roman centurions came and sliced Jesus side with a sword,
1: but that wasn't
0: the most deadly sword. The Roman sword was a symbol of the sword of God, the sword of justice, as God executed the death penalty for all sins. Mary's horror was unspeakable, but paled in comparison with the horror of the father falling upon his son, in rage against the sin of all the, all, the, all the nations of all times, a holy God exterminating sin and rebellion forever, the awful sins of idolatry and child sacrifice, the rape and plunder of the rich against the poor, wars, slavery, sexual exploitation, your sins, the sins of anger, jealousy, greed, Laziness, sins too numerous to count, too awful to contemplate, the public violations of other people. What's worse is that sin is ultimately an attack upon God himself. And God's infinite love for his people was matched by his infinite wrath against sin. The physical crucifixion, was a dim shadow, a representation of the spiritual reality unfolding as God unleashed his just anger against sin. And then it was finished. When it was all over, sin was conquered, Satan defeated, the world was powerless against the people of God, God's anger was extinguished as justice was executed, and now we understand that Jesus didn't come to rescue his people from the Romans. Jesus didn't come to restore Israel to the sovereign nation or to bring peace on earth. Jesus came a warrior king to repossess his realm. Jesus came as a warrior king to repossess his realm, to take it back from those who had stolen it from him. A sword would pierce Mary's soul, but she would survive. A sword would pierce Jesus' soul But he would not survive. Jesus died and went to hell for his people. And with him, all the earthly dreams of his people. Because Jesus never came to establish a kingdom on this earth. Jesus came to put to death the old world and rise from the dead to create a new one. This world is dying around us. It's always been dying around us. Ever since Adam ate the fruit, death has been set in, and this world is dying. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose as a new spiritual eternal body, and he began creating a new spiritual eternal earth. Mary's baby was the warrior king who would establish an eternal kingdom for all his people in a new earth. But first... Jesus had to be pierced by the sword of God's anger. And all who follow Jesus will be pierced, not by God's anger. For us, never God's anger. Never, God will never pierce us with his anger. We'll be pierced by the, the, by, by the sin in this world, by the enemies that are still lingering around, by the death throes of this old dying world. A warrior king leads a warrior people. And we who follow Jesus are caught up in the lingering war against sin. Did you think that following Jesus would make your life easier? Some foolish people make such ridiculous claims, but they're hollow promises. If Jesus' own mother... Whom he deeply loved with suffered such anguish of soul, do you think that you will escape? If Jesus' own mother survived that horrible trial, do you think that Jesus will abandon you in your trials? Ah, uh, foolish Christians, we want an easy life. We pursue wealth and health and comforts thinking they will make us happy not knowing that the pursuit of such things deadens the soul. It would be perverse to despise wealth and health and comfort, for these, when they come, come from our Heavenly Father, they're blessings that he bestows upon his dear children. And these blessings come, and they will come, but followers of Jesus do not pursue the blessings. Followers of Jesus pursue Jesus. Christians gird upon themselves the sword of Christ, mount the horse of the gospel, ride after Jesus across the earth, slaying evil and rescuing those enslaved by Satan. We ride and ride each day engaging the enemy, spreading the powerful gospel, driving back Satan, rescuing those enslaved in sin. Comrades fall by our side, friends betray us, loved ones suffer, Family members may reject us. All these things may happen to us. Jesus said he came not to bring peace, but a sword and to divide families by it. Our souls are wrenched by the horrors of war, spiritual war. We come to the end of ourselves, despair of life itself. But the power which raised Jesus from the dead and carried Mary through the agony of the cross will carry us through also. Friends and family may misunderstand and reject us, but Jesus never misunderstands us. He never rejects us. Others may leave us, but Jesus will always be with us to comfort, to strengthen, to encourage us in the struggle. Jesus did not come to make our lives easier. Jesus came as a warrior king, to defeat Satan and to restore the kingdom to man. He will not make our lives easier, but he will be with us to the end. Jesus overcame his trials, and we who are baptized into Jesus will also overcome our trials. And at last, we will ride victorious into the eternal kingdom. Simeon's chilling prophecy was ringing in their ears when Mary and Joseph were approached by another figure, Anna, an 84-year-old prophetess. Anna had spent her life praying and fasting. Night and day, she never left the temple, but relentlessly prayed for the consolation of Israel. (coughs) Anna had no new prophecy. Instead, she had a new prayer. Thanks for God's salvation. The prophecies had been fulfilled. The words of the prophets were true after all. Now is not the time for fasting. Now is the time for thanksgiving and proclaiming the good news. Is that all? Ought not Anna have launched into some brilliant new prophecy? Shouldn't she have burst into song or something? All she did was give thanks. We might think that Anna's ministry was minor compared to the powerful prophecy of Simeon. Thanksgiving seems so, so lame, so weak, so ordinary, but it's ordinarily neglected. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, declares that the primary sin of the pagans was the refusal to give thanks to God. And all through the Old Testament, I mean the whole of Old Testament, the Israelites grumbled against God and refused to thank him for sustaining and blessing them. But, you know, thanksgiving is not just a religious requirement. Thanksgiving is central to any relationship. No friendship or marriage will remain healthy if each person is not thankful for the company and service of the other. And so much more so when we have even life itself as a gift from God. Thanksgiving reorients us to the truth that our blessings are not the fruit of our own efforts. Now, we work, true, but God gives us the strength, the knowledge, and the energy to work. We're able to be productive because of the labors of thousands of other people to say nothing of the support of our family and friends. Thanksgiving is the confession that we're creatures, not gods. We're dependent upon God for our lives. Thanksgiving is the primary act of worship. Thanksgiving was Anna's impulsive response to the blessing of Jesus. And Thanksgiving should be central to our lives as well. Now, Thanksgiving is built into the life of the church. The central rite of the church, the Lord's Supper, is also called the Eucharist. After the Greek word, eucharisteo, which means to give thanks. And if you think about it, notice in the liturgy how often we give thanks. Thanks. Thanksgiving is not tiresome to those who know how wretched we are and how wonderful is our salvation. It's right that in our liturgy, we repeatedly offer thanks to God for his astonishing blessings. And it's right that the Lord's Supper is called the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving. Well, the temple was an overwhelming experience. The magnificent buildings, daily prayers and sacrifices Levitical choirs, the robes, the incense, the wealth, the crowds, even unbelievers were amazed at the temple. Mary and Joseph, poor country folk, came in obedience to the law to offer a prescribed sacrifice. In addition to everything else, they encountered the glorious and disturbing prophecy of Simeon and the thanksgiving of prophetess Anna. How does one respond to such moving experiences? How will life be different? What ought Mary and Joseph expect now? Luke says, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Daily life simply consists of obedience to God's law. The time will come for you to gird on your sword. You might be called to heroic action someday, And like Mary, a time will come when a sword will pierce your soul. But today, tomorrow, all of your life, God calls you to believe him, to trust him, to obey him, to care for you, and to thank him for your life and blessings. And what will be the result of such a life of simple obedience of faith? Luke says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. By faithful obedience to God's word, you also and your family will grow strong, become filled with wisdom, and find favor with God and man. Christmas is a time for celebration. Christ has come, an adorable baby, but also a warrior king. Christ loves us. Christ makes our hearts glad. He gives us peace. He assures us that we will defeat every foe. So, keep celebrating. May this Christmas tide be filled with peace, love, and joy of Christ as you believe him, thank him, and obey him. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending your beloved Son into this world to taste our miseries and suffer our hatred. Thank you, Lord, that you who rule heaven and earth came not as a tyrant but as a baby, Thank you, Almighty God, that you became man without losing your divine power. Thank you, merciful God, that you came to rescue us from our hopeless captivity to sin. We can never come to the end of our thanksgivings, Heavenly Father, yet we're more prone to complain than to thank. In the face of your powerful love and blessings, we question your goodness and demand that you give us the easy life we desire. Even worse, we think that we deserve such an easy life. Forgive us our foolishness and wickedness, O oh Father. Remind us daily of your love and care. Make us strong, wise and faithful. This we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Let's stand to the lamb who was slain, to the lion of the tribe of Judah, to him who knows our sorrows and always comforts us, to the warrior king who was born in a manger, be all glory, honor, praise and worship. Now and forever in earth and heaven. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.